This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate Rewind and Rewatch episode 16 covering DGUSA United Finale that took place on January 30th, 2011 from the Ace Arena in Union City, New Jersey. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or on the dedicated Open the Voice Gate Podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can find us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. I am one of your hosts, it's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Case Lowe. And Case, we finally have some gosh darn tag champions at the end of this show. I guess if there was a positive to leave this show on, that being the United finale, it is that we have tag champions now. As for any other positives from this particular show, we will see if we discover one as things go along. It is a interesting show. I had one match that would have been notebook bound, but you yeah. Can't. Oh yes, I I have one as well. But oh god, this show, th- this show will take a different tone than even the last show we talked about, which I thought was surprisingly great. That it was it was one where I wasn't expecting a ton from it. And by the end of it, I was like, you know what? That was that was professional wrestling the way I like it. This show. We will see if I feel that way by the end of the episode. Well, it was professional wrestling, but I don't know if it was how you liked it. <laughs> so it was it was certainly wrestling. I will give it that. So this is the end of DGUSA's first ever triple shot. Of course, they were in New York City at BB Kings on the 28th. They were at the ECW Arena on the 29th. And this was their big debut in New Jersey at the Ace Arena. But before we get to it, Case, we have a bunch of stuff. Like, we kind of partitioned everything out here, knowing there's going to be three shows that were over three days, but there was a lot of stuff that happened. So this time, we, we don't have as many notes here, but we do have a big event to talk about before we get into the show itself. Yeah, I thought we were going to have this nice, compact show. It's going to be quick. And right before we started recording, Mike was like, oh, wait, do you still want to talk about the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Awards? And I was like, Ah, I do. I forgot about that <laughs> in my planning. So I think it's important to realize just the overall perception of, I think in 2010, it's fair to say the Observer Award voters were still representing that hardcore bubble, even if it bleeded a little bit into the, the casual fan base and to a, maybe a different portion of the online community. It still represented the hardcore bubble in a way that I don't necessarily think the awards do now. So it's worth talking about where Drangate and Drangate USA finished in the 2010 Wrestling Observer Newsletter Awards. 
These obviously were released at some point in January of 2011. The print date was January 24th. Exactly. So right in line with our timeline, this worked out well. So we can kind of, I, you know, Mike, I don't know how you want to do this, but this is take it away. So after last year, 2009, where DGUSA and Dragon Gate were all over the awards, we're starting to see, like, at, at the time, this was a very much the peak of Dragon Gate awareness, at least within the uh, the Wrestling Observer electorate and readership. I think that it changed over time where there's not necessarily as many people watching Dragon Gate for a multitude of reasons. But I think like a big example of that is just taking it from the top. So Luthez, Ric Flair Award, the Wrestler of the Year Award. The winner this year was John Cena. Number two was Takashi Sugawara. And then number three was Masato Yoshino. Other people of note and people we've talked about a bunch on the show that have that place on it. A surprising Prince Devitt was fourth. But Davy Richards was sixth. And then honorable mentions are Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, Naruki Doi, Yamato, and BB Hulk. So Masato Yoshino finishing third against John Cena and Takashi Sugawara really tells you like a state of where the wrestling industry was at this point, considering that like you have Cena, Jericho, The Miz, and then Kurt Angle this time was in TNA, but you, those were your WWE people there. And then you don't really have a big New Japan person. Like, Devitt's your top New Japan person, which is wild for 2010 in my mind. Then you have Shinsuke Nakamura at 7. And then, you know, Takashi Sugawara as, like, the, the Noah guy as number 2. It's kind of a wild thing. And then Misako finishing at 10th when Misako is about to, I believe, and I'm really bad about the time period and Lucha history, so I apologize to the Lucha historians here, fishing in 10th where I felt like that he probably could have made an argument in this time period of being a consistent uh, rest of the year candidate. I think this list, if anything, is just a huge indictment on TNA. Yeah. Because Kurt Angle finishes ninth in the top 10 for Flair Thez, but, you know, this is what WrestlingBay.tv, I think this is the era of online streaming we're in. Puro DVDs are still a thing to an extent. And you've got Segura, Yoshino, Devitt, and Nakamura. I can't think of a match Nakamura had in 2010. And you've got that representation in your top 10 for the most important award, which in terms of just diverse Japanese uh, representation in these awards, I can't think of a time since where three companies have been featured so prominently. And this is obviously without any All Japan, because I feel like a lot of the awards now it's, you know, New Japan dominated, and rightfully so. And then Dragon Gate typically gets a fair shake and in, in, in the Observer Awards, despite the one time that T-Hawk finishes one of the best flyers, which still confuses me. Oh, we have a wild one this year for this thing we'll talk about. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, I, you might get an All Japan guy if it's Miyahara. I know, like, 2015, like, Big Japan had a really big year with Western fans that year, like Big Japan was a hot product, but it I don't remember it bleeding into the Observer all that much. Like there's a Daisuke Sekimoto Shuji Shikawa match that I had as one of my five best matches of the year. I gave it five stars, but I if that finished on the match of the year voting for Dave's piece, it was an honorable mention. It wasn't a top ten. So to see this award in particular, three guys from three different Japanese companies finish in the top ten, four if you count Devitt. It's it's really impressive, and the honorable mentions is loaded with Dragon Gate guys. Yeah, and you know there was a quote about Yoshino in here where Dave says Masato Yoshino, age thirty, is a ten year veteran whose trademark is that he's probably the fastest wrestler in business when it comes to movement. Yoshino was more well known in recent years as part of the Speed Muscle Tag Team from Naruki Doi, but 
Yoshino held the Dreamgate title for most of 2010. So pretty surface level comment from Dave there. He does go in talking about like how interesting this was that lush wrong candidates and the thing is that true candidates were limited and Sugawara finishing second really tells that story and talks about major league promotions, the lack of success at that time, which drastically would change by the time DGUSA is over, limiting candidates and with WWE wrestlers winning the last four years following a four-year period where every winner was based outside of the United States tells the story of an ever-changing business. And that's a pretty important note to keep in mind in this series. Most outstanding. So Dragon Gate proper guys, we had Shinko Takagi in fifth, Yamato in fourth, people who were affiliated with DGUSA at one time or another, Daniel Bryan winning the award with It was a close match with him, but he had 269 first-place votes with a 2,037 overall score. But Davey Richards had almost 100 less, uh, or over 100 less uh, first-place votes. Sorry, not 100, 70. Eyes, Mike. Uh, So 70 (laughs) less first-place votes, but only only finished about 165 points behind him, which is kind of wild. It seems like Davey was on virtually every ballot in 2010 for most outstanding which rightfully so and then shingo finishing fifth i think that if you talk about entering match work at least in dgusa he was probably the the top the top japanese native there which made sense and then yamato was still like i mean this was during his dreamgate run and then you know he finished out the year this was after voting but he would soon be the freedom gate champion so it makes sense that these two guys were the ones representing the company though you know 2010, yeah, I think you have to give like the in-ring MVP in Dragon Gate to Shingo. Oh, I don't think there's a question. Yeah, I, this is this is Shingo's year. Uh, he dominated this year. Had not the main event of Kobe World, but had the most important match at Kobe World. Was the focal point for pretty much every DG USA show in terms of you know what is Shingo doing on these shows when it came to the foreign talent. It's his year, and weirdly only a blip on the radar in Shingo's great career. But 2010 in a vacuum. I think of Shingo when I think of this year. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, head and shoulders above everyone else. Few of the year, the only uh, DG-related thing was Hulk and Takagi finished in seventh with 11 first-place votes and 402 points. Runaway candidate, and really, 10, 10 years of hindsight, this was the feud. Kevin Cena and El Generico won the, won the award. They ran, it was a runaway. This was, at the time, a category that also had MMA people. It was... The only wrestling thing in the top three, and the next wrestling thing was Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, which had less than a third votes as this. But yeah, Hulk and I mean Hulk and Takagi. I mean that was such a big storyline. It makes sense there. I mean, kind of sad though that we didn't necessarily have a DGUSA f- feud here. But I mean, really, you're, the big feud you would have had, I guess, would have been like Kamikaze USA versus Takari Sakagun, and that wouldn't rate up there. And then like. Jimmy Jacobs and John Moxley wouldn't be up there either, so it no. makes sense with this. Yeah, I got I got no issues with any of this. I mean, Steen Generico, Hulk Shingo, and Rey Mysterio, CM Punk. I mean, any year where you get those three feuds in professional wrestling, it's a good year for wrestling. Funny note, LA Park versus La Parca finished tenth that year. Which I think is just oh, funny. Oh Lucha. Yeah, that very Lucha thing where they had LA Park. Uh, come into AAA fighting over the Laparca name. He won, but then Laparca still remained in Laparca <laughs> until the end of his life. Oh, God. Kind of peak lucha. So, tag team of the year, it was Kings of Wrestling, Hero and Cassinoli winning. Number two was Mercy Machine Guns. Number three was Beer Money. Uh, the Dragon Gate people and the people affiliated with Dragon Gate at one time. You had American Wolves in eighth with two first place votes and 214 points. 
the Kamikaze team of Shingo, Takagi, and Yamato finishing right behind them. At with they had one more first place vote, but only 153 points. And oh, how has TNA hurt people? Uh, Young Bucks, Generation Me, where the will mention at 75 votes. It's just embarrassing that they're only an honorable mention. I mean, it's just th- think think about and obviously I've thought a lot about it. I've got a piece on VoiceOfWrestling.com about it. Think about how great the Young Bucks are, and think about how. They had years between TNA and then their, I guess, second Ring of Honor stint, the Cornette era of Ring of Honor, where they were just wasted. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But then you also look at the TNA talent that did finish second and third, and you're just like, why weren't they having great matches against those two teams all the time? Why can't Beer Money just reunite? That's all I have to say about that. I mean, I would be interested in that happening. I mean, even if it's just like an Indies thing, I want to see the Boozer Cruiser. Come on. I... I I have always had a soft spot outside of WWE. I've always had a soft spot for Bobby Roode. I think like his style of wrestling does not appeal to me, but I've always thought he was the best version of that. What I would call like Americanized TV style of wrestling. I think Roode has, has had a bunch of really good matches. James Storm is someone outside of beer money. I have no use for I do not enjoy him. I have never enjoyed him outside of being Bobby Roode's tag part. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm similar there. Uh, most improved, a uh, winner was Sheamus, where I felt like Sheamus and The Miz kind of alternated this award for a while. Uh, Dragon, yes. Dragon Gate people, uh, Akira Tozawa finishing seventh, which that's just because people finally discovered Akira Tozawa in my mind. And then Ricochet finishing ninth, which honestly, Ricochet, like taking a look of just like that three-month period of him in Dragon Gate, he should have done a lot better. A couple funny names to touch on before we go on this category. Cody Rhodes was honorable mention, as was Hiroshi Yamato and Kenny Omega. Claudio Castagnoli, too, which is ridiculous. Insane. Claudio Castagnoli was one of the best wrestlers in the world coming into 2010. I do not understand that at all. Uh, Bobby Fish here finishes fifth, which should just be noted. I think that is he was spending time in pro wrestling. No, but I also think that comes from his evolved stint at this point. And then, yeah, to me, it's, you know, Tozawa went from being someone who could be very good to someone who was consistently great by the end of this year. But Ricochet just was in the beginning of putting it all together. And uh, even like I said on you know a few shows ago, you look at the Ricochet that was in the July four-way match and the Ricochet that teamed up with Aries and Horiguchi against Ronan on the last show of 2010 – and then, you know, we've seen during this triple shot, the ricochet that's here now, completely different humans in those three stages. And he is someone that will only improve as we go along in 2011. Best on interviews will be like one of the biggest indicators that we were in 2010 here. Winner and a runaway was Chael Sonnen. Uh, <laughs> number two is, was Miz almost like, almost had like a third of the votes to Chael Sonnen. John Moxley finished seventh, which, you know, all things considered, that made sense. And then, Interestingly enough, John Cena finishing 10th, Josh Koscheck finishing above John Cena. I have I have no thoughts on the Koscheck Cena rivalry that you're attempting to start here. <laughs> I will say I think it is a huge plus for Dragon USA and proof that to an extent even if we see the audience dwindling, to an extent the the system worked because you got someone like Moxley who was not positioned to have great matches, but positioned to have great interviews finishing seventh in a year where, you know, it's, it's Chael Sonnen, the Miz, CM Punk, Chris Jericho, Kevin Steen, Ric Flair. Those are the guys before him. Those are at least in terms of the wrestlers, 
what I think is widely considered to be five of the best promos in modern history, and, and you've got Moxley finishing behind them, they're doing all right. That's that's a plus for Dragon Gate USA. Five of the the greatest promos and the Miz. <laughs> I I don't know for sure. I feel like Chael Sonnen's promos, especially because this is his first fight with Anderson Silva this year. Yeah. That's what won through the year. I feel like they age poorly. Oh, I'm not no. sure. I just have a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I just have a feeling they do not hold up. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so from there, we get into most charismatic. John Cena wins. Yamato finishes fifth. And ahead, uh, and here's something that Dave writes in a caption: Yamato of Dragon Gate is charismatic, but there's no way he should finish ahead of pe- most people behind him. People that Yamato finish ahead of: George Saint Pierre, Josh Koscheck again, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, CM Punk, and Chael Sonnen. I would good. S- I I stand Yamato in this case. I'm all for this. Like the only person that I would say, in ten years hindsight, should finish better than him is Tanahashi. The rest of them, I mean, can get in the bin. Yeah, get get in the bin. You heard Mike Spears. Get in the bin, George St. Pierre. <laughs> All right, best technical. We're going to go pretty quick here. There's not a lot of notes here. Daniel Bryan won. Davey Richards, our main man, finished second. Mike Quackenbush finished eighth. Other people on this that are interesting. Doug Williams finished sixth. Naomi Big G. Doug Williams guy. Oh, I mean, Chaos Theory is a great move. It still is. Yes. And then we had Naomichi Marafuji at fifth, which is kind of an eye raise there. AJ Styles in seventh. And Chris Jericho at 10th. Yeah, not... I, the the Marafuji thing is interesting because his whole thing in 2010 was he wrestled Devitt. And I feel like Devitt pushed him to do more flying than he had done in in most years. The technical wrestling aspect of that is interesting to me. Yeah, Devitt finished third, by the way. Yeah, that's... I The Devitt one almost makes sense because that... I, I, look at him as i guess the air quotes technical wrestler the Fuji thing i felt like he was pushed to a different level that i wouldn't categorize as such yep bruiser brody memorial best brawler winner was kevin Cena, and actually in a very close second place kevin Cena had 70 more first place votes than john moxley but only had about 260 more points john moxley finishes second brody lee finishes seventh with uh 334 jimmy jacobs finishes 10th and Shingo Takagi is an honorable mention. Yeah, this is a good showing from Moxley. I'm assuming most of his votes in this category are coming from CZW and WXW, but he's still got a platform to brawl on DGUSA, and I think for the most part he did that successfully. And then, you know, Brody is someone who... I, I don't know if he ever had like that. Wow, like Brody Lee is is a brawler in Dragon Gate USA throughout really his entire time in the company, but he's someone that I think because of the way he looks and his name and the way he he works, I guess his size, he's always going to get lumped in this category. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave does note that this was a two-person race, as it probably should have been, and John Moxley was only 25 at this point, really made his name on DGUSA pay-per-view shows, and was probably the most pushed foreigner once they lost Brian Danielson and Davey Richards. No shit there, Dave. <laughs> Best Flyer, and this is an interesting category because when we get to honorable mentions, we have some wild vote-getters here. Winner was Kota Ibushi with 221 first-place votes, 1,903 votes overall. Ricochet finished second with 161, so only 60 behind there. But 1,591, so 310 uh, votes behind him. Pack finished third with 120 first place votes and 114, or 1,104. 
1,149. God, I'm terrible at reading numbers. Uh, That's okay. Third place votes. Uh, rounding out the top 10 of interesting people here, uh, Devitt finishes sixth. Uh, Matt Seidel slash Evan Bourne finishes fifth. Masca- Mascara Dorada finishes fourth. Number seven, Dragon Kid. Number eight, Rey Mysterio. Number nine, Jack Evans. Number 10, La Sombra. Let me tell you about the Honorable Mentions case. We have Aerostar. We have El Generico. We have AJ Styles. We have Voldor Jr. Then we have BB Hulk and Masato Yoshino. You seem really fired up about this. I don't have an issue with the BB Hulk inclusion at all. Masato Yoshino's, Yoshino? Yoshino's a little suspect, but he's uh, he's the Drangate guy. It's just uh, it's the Fighting Spirit Award in the in the Tokyo Sports category in the Tokyo Sports Award every year. It's just like ah, uh, they'll give it to the Drangate guy. Who cares? It's just Yoshino, other than doing the missile senton and occasionally, occasionally doing like a flying double stomp, does and not like a nice do... house show dive. Nice house show dive. That's all he does. He never, he never leaves his feet. He's like the mo. He's the fastest wrestler ever to never do dives. It's wild to me. Like that's. Just... I'm fast. Oh yes, go ahead. It just drives me wild. I'm fascinated by Ricochet finishing second here because. It, it, Pac just had I, I thought he had a better 2010 Ibushi is in the right spot there I think he was the winner and then you know Evan Bourne Matt Seidel obviously Dragon Gate alumni and someone who at this time it felt like there was something there with him in WWE and for a number of reasons it never materialized fully but yeah no I, I, I the Ricochet thing is interesting but overall I think that's an accurate top 10 yeah no it's interesting uh, Dave Dave writes pretty good caption here Ricochet is notable for finishing second as someone who is an unknown a year ago, kind of tells you where Chikara and IWA Bid South is in the greater scheme of things. Pack, an independent star the, in the UK who had worked in uh, Japan and is scheduled to be a DGUSA regular this year, which will help his exposure. Mascara Dorado has knees problems at Herm going forward. Don't think he ever really had, like had like knee surgery or anything like that. And then Evan Bourne had injuries and returns uh, scheduled for March. He would quickly, I think, win the uh, tag titles with Kofi Kingston and then would be out of the company by the end of the year challenge with it so like this is actually a pretty honest category i feel like uh most underrated daniel bryan was in the category as ninth caval slash low-key won that uh any big takes about the most underrated category it's just what you expect like even at this point like the most underrated people kind of are the same each year it's it's super 2010 it's caval it's Christian, it's Evan Bourne, it's Yoshitatsu, <laughs> sixth is Desmond Wolf, eighth is Tyson Kidd, nine is Daniel Bryan, ten is Dolph Ziggler. That is super 2010. Yeah, uh, Kazuhiko Nakajima was an honorable mention at that point. I saw that. Yeah, promotion of the year. Number one in a runaway was Ultimate Fighting Championships. This is when Dave likes to still combine these things and for, for whatever reason. Number two. Dragon Gate, they do not have separate between Dragon Gate and Dragon Gate USA, but Dragon Gate finishes number two, but closely at their heels is New Japan Pro Wrestling. Ring of Honor finishes in fourth. Both Those were the four t- ones that had more than 1,000 votes. Five was WWE. Six was my favorite uh, MMA promotion, World Extreme. Cage Fighting, PWG makes an appearance as well as CMLL, uh, Pro Wrestling, Noah, Chikara, and then your album mentions are DDT and Big Japan. I'm fascinated by Dragon Gate finishing two here and, and the number one wrestling promotion at that because I think 2010, in terms of I'm counting this as Dragon Gate proper, Dragon Gate Japan, I think it's one of their weaker years. I think 2009 and 2010 are not strong years for the company. 
And uh, the fact that, again, like I like I said when we talked about Flair Fez, the fact that TNA is not on this list is uh, just uh, embarrassing. And WWE, you know, this is the year of the Nexus and those squandered opportunities. And I guess Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels in a match that I've never seen. But I, I guess that's a high point. But they finished fifth here. It's, yeah. Uh, it's not good for American wrestling. I think Ring of Honor, I, I like their 2010, even if it's hit or miss at times. But, you know, Dragon Gate and New Japan, 2010 finishing as your promotions in the year is uh, just embarrassing for American wrestling as a whole. Well, speaking of Ring of Honor, they won the TV show, weekly TV show of the year. This was mostly their HD net stuff. They would be off HD net pretty soon. I think they were off in 2011. Ultimate Fighter finished two. Raw finished three. Dragon Gate Affinity. Always the thing that always raised my eyebrow at that they finished so high, they finished four. Top five closes out with WWE SmackDown, Bellator, New Japan, Superstars, AAA, and CMLL finished in the top ten. Impact was your honorable mention there. Yeah, I got no thoughts here. I think this this list is fine. All right, worked match of the year. Of course, David Dave did not separate most awards. We separated uh, shoot fights with worked matches. The winner was... Uh, Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels from Phoenix from WrestleMania. Tyler Black versus Davey Richards from Ring of Honor in Toronto will finish second. Brian Danielson versus Shingo Takagi is your your high DG representative at third. Fourth is uh, BB Hulk versus Shingo Takagi, the, the uh, Caballero versus Caballero match from Kobe World. And then fifth was a match I rewatched this week, and it holds up very much to this day. Akira Tozawa versus Chris Hero from Bola and Reseda PWG from September 5th. Uh, other DG matches that ranked high, we had the uh, Mania the Mania Trios match was an honorable mention, as was Naruki Doi versus Yoshino. And uh, that, that was the, uh, it was Tokyo, that had to be the Sumo Hall match, right? Yes. Yeah, so that those were your interesting and your highest rated work matches of the year. Yeah, I just looking at my match of the year list for 2010 right now, I have Danielson versus Shingo at number one, that's a five-star match. Uh, Hero versus Tozawa and Hulk and Shingo are my two and three, respectively, at four and three quarters. I have the Masaki Mochizuki versus Yamato match from 5-13-10. That's in my top ten. That's that's my number seven. And Yamato versus Doi from the aforementioned March 22nd show is my number eight for that year. So I'm I'm roughly in line with uh, the Wrestling Observer newsletter, at least in terms of the Drangate participation. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting with, like, that. Like, you had three matches and three technically different promotions from DG finishing that top five, which I Yeah, find. no, it's, it's I get it. I mean, they were, you know, best wrestling promotion of the year. It's a heavy representation from them in these awards. All right, now we go to Rookie of the Year. Adam Cole had a runaway. Uh, number two was Green Ant, uh, uh, better known as Silver Ant. And, you know, su- suspiciously the same body type as Tracy Williams. Careful. Careful. I mean, at this point, I feel like <laughs> yeah. I can say that. I wonder who ended up on the right side of history there. Yeah, yeah. Number three was Rich Swan. Uh, Christina Von Airy of three Dragon Gate appearances finished in 10th with three first place votes. Other interesting people on this. Uh, Falhe finished ninth. Uh, Naomi finished eighth. Percy Watson finished sixth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like I liked I liked the Percy Watson gimmick on NXT when it was the game show era. That was fun TV. He was not good, but he was fun. Yeah, T- Tamatanga is in the top five. Kazuki Hashimoto was fourth. Uh, a bunch of interesting names in our will mention. We have Hiromu Takahashi 
and then the man who would become El Desperado as the top vote getters that did not finish there. So interesting, Adam Cole at that time, I think like the path of history of the people who are classified as rookies, I mean, Hiromu Takahashi probably would be the, uh, the, the other top rookie here. But Adam Cole, I mean, that does not seem unrealistic. And of course, Rich Swan at this time, you know, that made perfect sense as well. Yeah, the Cole thing, uh, this was the start of his blue chip path to greatness. This makes total sense that he ran away with a, with the award this year. Yep. Best wrestling, sh- best major wrestling show, which has a whole lot of MMA. So why do you call it best wrestling show here, Dave? The winner is UFC 116 there at July 4th weekend show. Top wrestling show is ROH Death Before Dishonor with the uh, Davey Tyler Black match. WrestleMania finished third. PWG 7 finished fourth. And then... DG appeared as sixth with Enter the Dragon. That, of course, had Shingo versus Danielson. Uprising, surprisingly, is the highest vote-getting uh, uh, honorable mention. And then Kobe Sembo Hall got votes as well, as well did Mercury Rising. A weird list of honorable mentions with the second Canada show, Kobe World, and then a Mercury Rising show that I wasn't that crazy about. Yeah. But... Enter the Dragon finishing sixth. That's fair. I'll give that one to them. I mean, the, the Mercury Rising and Uprising were televised pay-per-views. More people likely saw those, so it, it makes sense. But I also just didn't think those shows were as good as the Midwest double shot from uh, the fall. Yeah. And yeah, just a s- strange area there. That honorable mention list is really strange. But Enter the Dragon being top six makes sense. I guess Milwaukee might not have made DVD in time, but I, I like Milwaukee more than Nisagua or mercury rising by far yes that is uh that is a good point we talked about that i I talked about that last week of uh those shows were pre-orders at the time so i guess you're right nobody had seen them yeah best wrestling maneuver is the only category that dragon gate won with ricochet with the uh, double rotation moonsault number two was the labelle lock with uh brian danielson number three was justin gabriel's 450 he did have a nice 450 splash it's a good 450 yeah devitt's bloody sunday was fourth kodabushi's golden star press was fifth the uh what would be soon called the uh, British Airways would be called the Red Arrow, would be called the Black Arrow. PAX 360, Shooting Star Press, finished 10th. And probably, like, given the time and exposure, it makes sense. But, like, in retrospect, great miscarriage of judgment, I feel like. <laughs> it's a beautiful move. It still looks good to this day. Has he ever made it look bad? No. He doesn't make anything look bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, best Booker, Joe Silva of UFC 1. Gato and Jado finished second. Mike Quackenbush, third. Gabe Sapolsky finished fourth. Uh, Adam Pierce finished fifth. Uh, no uh, Ginky Horiguchi on this one, this list this year. Do you think that people thought that like, Gabe was also booking uh, Dragon Gate Japan? I don't think they thought that. I'm just wondering how psyched Gabe must have been when he saw that he got more votes than Adam Pierce and Hunter Johnson, who finishes there in eighth. Oh, Gabe had a, uh, he had to be fist pumping. He just had to be so thrilled with himself there. Yeah, absolutely. And those are the Observer Awards of 2010. That, yeah, that matter to Dragon Gate. So that is that. And then before we get into the United finale show, there are two notes uh, to make note of. One of them being a show on January 24th in Japan at JCB Hall, which I don't remember really any other show taking place there. But this is a show that was taped that is floating out there somewhere. It is a beautiful building. And it is the Gaiora 20th Anniversary Super Fighting Spirit 2011 card. This had representation from Dragon Gate. It had representation from All Japan. There's a Joshi match here that I I just don't know off the top of my head who they would have been working for at the time. But 
This is a crazy card that I'll break down. It looks like the Joshi stuff was likely coming from Oz Academy. But just to break down this card real quick, the opener is Bushi, Dragon Kid, and Power Pro Kaman, which is Sonata under a mask, defeating Kagatora, Minoru Tanaka, and Susumi Yokosuka. There's a Joshi offer match, match number two. Match number three is BB Hulk, Jinsei, Shinzaki, and Tajiri defeating Kaz Hayashi, Nozawa out of the question, and Taka Michinoku. Yamato defeats Hiroshi Yamato. Kai and Shuji Kondo team up, and they defeat Naoki Tanizaki and Naruki Doi. We'll talk about that match more in just a second. Uh, Matsukatsu motherfucking Funaki and Minoru Suzuki team with Masaki Mochizuki. That is a team of ass kickers there. And they defeat Akibono, Ryoti Hama, and Sumo Fuji. Also a team of ass kickers. <laughs> disgustingly large trio. And in the main event, it is Shima, Jushin Thunder Liger, and Keiji Muto defeating Masato Yoshino, Suwama, and the great Sasaki. Liger was a last-minute substitution as the original person in this match was Tiger Mask 5, otherwise known as Minowaman or Ikushi Minua. Man, I butchered that, but we'll go with it, who wrestled Timothy Thatcher on a Bloodsport show. Uh, he wrestled one match as Tiger Mask 5 at the end of 2010 and then was never seen again uh, until he was rebranded as himself. So Liger made this uh, an official dream match when he subbed in. Mike, what are your memories of this show? Well, like... Obviously, like, the big thing was having a match at this time with Shuji Kondo going up against Dragon System guys. Like, that's enormous. Uh, Jensei Shinsaki always had, like, a very positive relationship with Dragon Gate going to that. Like, going from the going from the past there. The the match that I'd like to re-watch actually more with 2020 eyes would be the opener. You know? That's just, like, a really kind of wild thing. Like, I'm a big Minoru fan. And, like, him being on a team with Kakator and Susumi Yokosuka is wild. And then Bushi, Dragon Kid, and the man who would become Sonata is kind of wild. And then, I mean, the uh, the real mean semi-main event there where I feel bad for Don Fuji in that match there. But, who boy. Like, this is interesting. I don't think JCP Hall exists anymore. I think it was replaced by the uh, Tokyo City Hall show venue. So, like, that's... Yeah, that's, a, that's a shame because I thought this place looked great on camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it was like one of those places that kind of was a... Uh, replacement in a lot of ways for uh, like i know a lot of places would like to run there because it was right next to the tokyo dome and it was a little bit larger so yeah no it was jcp hall from like from then to there and then it was shut down and it's just like small scale sporting events did pretty well there and it did seem like it's kind of like replaced by like tokyo city hall you like that that was like the big place that russell one ran and no one else did because how expensive it was so I, the the one lasting memory, I mean, the main event of this show is really fun, just given, uh, you know, Legends and Suwama, you know, yeah. Legends of the Industry. It's, it's a fun match, but and the Suwama. Kai <laughs> and Suwama, the Kai and Shuji Kondo versus Tanizaki and Doi match, which I didn't even realize until saying it out loud that Kai and Kondo were teaming up. And, and you know, we just passed when we we're recording this Kondo's debut in Dragon Gate. This match up until Kondo's return to Dragon Gate in January 2019 when he wrestled Mochizuki, this was his only interaction with the Dragon Gate roster. He did not share any locker rooms with them. There were no Kensuke office diamond ring shows where they bumped into each other, whereas even Ultimo Dragon would find himself in that situation every once in a while where he would be on some sort of freelance independent show and a Dragon Gate guy would also be on that show. There was nothing between Kondo and 
and the rest of the Dragon Gate guys until this match. And Kondo and Naruki Doi in particular beat the living shit out of each other in this match to a point that it is almost uncomfortable. And it is it is beautiful to see nine years later that things have been smoothed over and they have made up and Kondo is now a part of the company. But this match is violent and just stiff in a way that just most wrestling isn't. But it's a very fun match. Yeah, and it was real acting out your feelings match, I feel like, at least from Kondo's standpoint. Because, like, yeah, as we're recording this, this is, like, the week after they returned, the week of his return to Dragon Gate. It just was such a bitter fissure there. And it was one that, really, at that time, the only person who tried to heal that fissure was Sugawara. And we we know how that went. So Yes, unfortunately, we do know how that went. Yeah, and it's, it's also like, I know that you aren't a Joshi person, but this is like a real status of where the Joshi industry was nine years ago, that the Joshi match was Carlos Amano, Chikako Nagashima, Dynamite Kansai versus Asha Kong, Mayumi, Ozaki, and Meiko Satomura. Like, that is still like some people that were holdovers from, from, from Gaia, really. And then like, of course, you have like Asha Kong, like this, and this thing. So like, it really like tells you like, if you were to do like a Geora 30th anniversary show, I, I know that's a, it'll be a thing where it's, I know Oz Academy is on Geora, so it'd probably still have Ozaki and maybe Asha Kong on there. It'd just be a completely different thing. Like that might be like the most remarkable difference in passage of time there, at least from my extent there. But it's just like an interesting thing. Like you see a lot of people on these shows that would would co mingle and do a lot of things other than like Suji Kondo. So it was a remarkable show. And then yeah. When, I think it was like two years later that it became the Tokyo Dome City Hall. That's something we should, I guess, make a mental note in our head of if they're going to do a 30th anniversary show because All Japan, you know, there's no Kento Miyahara in the company at this time. You know, it's again, Suwama's the guy that, that would make sense there. And there's no Wrestle 1 anymore, even if some of the Wrestle 1 guys migrated to All Japan, which is still shown on Gaiora. It would have certainly been interesting had the anniversary you know taken place in 2018 2019 right. where maybe you get the strong hearts guys as wrestle one representatives on a show with dragon gate guys i don't think there's any scenario where they would have wrestled each other but to be in the same locker room as we talked about a few weeks ago with shima and shingo at battle of los angeles a few years ago even sharing a locker room seems to be pretty uncomfortable among those two camps actually it might be something that they, they do have sendai girl so mako would be there so, you, you yeah, there's, they've got they've got quite a few promotions now. I mean, again, they lost Russell One, but it seems to be a pretty stacked lineup. Other than that, yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, maybe Kenji Muto's pro pro wrestling masters might pull some names out of the back. Oh, but yes, it, maybe. And it kind of would be interesting because, especially as it seemed over like the past few years, Dragon Gate's position on Gaora seems to be a lot more powerful than All Japan's, or a lot more dominant. I would say. I think that's fair to say. Yes. So. Yeah, no, that's a wild card. Like, just thinking about it is something that's just kind of, like, takes you aback. And then from there, we go to the one Newswire update that I have, which was posted on January 19th, so a week and a half before the show, maybe two weeks before the show, where Gabe gives the current lineup for Union City, New Jersey show, United Finale, and says that there will be no more matches added to the card as we need to see the events unfold from the prior two nights before we can properly book the third show. So what we were promised was Shima and Dragon Kid versus Naruki Doi and Ricochet, Masato Yoshino and Pac versus Chuck Taylor and Johnny Gargano, a no DQ match between Homicide and John Moxley, 
DB Hulk versus Akira Tozawa in a match that had Hulk retain the title in his first two defenses. He would have defended it against Tozawa and Brody Lee versus Rich Swan. There's a bunch of names that are promised, but they were not booked up until the night of. And I think that brings us to the night of this is United finale, the end of Dragon USA's first triple shot. Indeed. And we take you to the Ace Arena in Union City. And my first note I have in my notes is this Una, this venue sucked. It looked very low rent. It looked very much like a, a place that Gay would run Evolve shows later and just looked terrible for like a promotion that this, I believe, is their last pay-per-view. They've got one more after this. So, well, it, It's the Mercury Rising. I, we, yes, it, Mercury well, Rising. Yeah, we've gone over this. Sorry. This. Yes, we my, have. My, it's okay. My, my apologies. Uh, so I hate this building for Drangit USA. Now, there were Evolve shows in this building. It there makes was sense Evolve. for Evolve. Yes, Evolve 7, not a great show. But Evolve 4, which has Danielson versus Fish as the main event, and this happened the night before the DGUSA one-year anniversary show, it's a fun show, and it is an atmosphere that I think Evolve would have likely thrived in had they been given more opportunities to run there. I always think of this building with the CZW show that had Jun Kasai versus Necro Butcher, uh, Daisuke Sakimoto versus DJ Hyde, and Drew Gulak versus a very young Zack Sabre Jr. on the show. Uh, they ran there in 2011, which might have been the last show in that building. I can't remember the last time somebody ran at the Ace Arena, but just big picture thoughts. The ring was too small. It was maybe a 14-foot ring. It was, it, it was yeah, it was like a British rounds ring that Drangate just couldn't do what they needed to do. I, it felt like the ceilings were low. I don't know if they were not, but it looked like guys were afraid when they went to the top rope. And it just, it, it just you think about the first show in Philly, and even with the, what I will call Gabe's production quirks, how major league that show felt. And now you're putting this show on pay-per-view, and... I just wonder, you know, had, and I don't know how the rights went. Maybe they weren't allowed to do this because you have to remember both New York and Philly, those shows aired on Go Fight Live. I do think, given the way this show turned out, which we'll talk about in just a second, perhaps it would have been more effective to show a match from New York and then a match from Philly and then, you know, maybe another match from New York and then the tag title match that headlined the show, the first United Gate Championship match, maybe that is what should have composed the pay-per-view instead of just a edited version of this show, which even the way it stood, uh, not something had I paid for it at the time, I would have felt like I got, I had gotten my money's worth. Well, Dave does have a review of the show. And oh, okay. one of the things he says is, it, he talks about this is a promotion that feels like instead of being like authentic, great working Dragon Gate is an American style product with a stable of half Japanese guys and half US Indies guys. It is still the Japanese who provide the highest quality of wrestling, although Austin Aries is at their league and everyone in the ring can hang with them. The negative is the same as you always have with this product or OH when viewed on, on pay per view. The production looks so minor league in comparison to the major promotions. In this case, the ring mic wasn't always clear. The setting was tiny and the fans burned out early, which especially hurt the main event. While the execution moves was excellent, some of the matches peaked early and ended flat. So yeah, like if you would like piece together parts of the United Weekend, you probably would have a real solid two and a half hours that probably might be like their best pay-per-view since the uh, one-year anniversary show. I mean, you could probably take like a, 
a great tag match from each night, and then you probably would have to put on Yamato and and Hulk just because you have to show the title. It was change. a good match. I I would put it on the show as well. Yeah, but then like you'd have like Die Fly versus Yoshino and Pack, and then you would probably also have uh, the uh, match with uh, Die Fly versus uh, Ronin as your big like two matches that leading up to it, and then you show the the finals, and then maybe you show Tozawa versus BB Hulk, and you have a great pay per view there. But that's not yeah, what happened. Yeah, I, I agree, but we do not have that here. So, Mike, what kicked off the show? So, what kicked off the show, which did not make the pay-per-view, as I see from Dave Meltzer, was Brody Lee versus Rich Swan. Brody Lee won in a pretty fast match. Like, it was, like, four minutes long with the truck stop and a really, like, fun baiting match. Like, it was basically Rich Swan based kind of just playing, like, I'm the underdog guy. I'm much undersized. I'm going to try to use my speed, and I'm going to frustrate him. Then, eventually, he got caught, and he got laid out and that was the match and i thought that for that it was like a perfectly fine opener and i felt like that brody looked great and i think red swan played his role here pretty well it is a fun match it is you know one where i these guys and I, i'm just discovering this with brody that brody was just so good at this time period oh, yeah. and i i really think you you know was underutilized by everybody i don't understand why this match happened though because brody squashed rich swan rightfully so given you know the stature of Brody Lee but I just I do I this was very questionable booking and I think something that plagued the promotion as we go ahead and it's the first big example of this that I can think of of why this match like what what good did this do because you know Brody doesn't have a title shot coming up soon and Rich Swan is in the new focal point of the company so what good does it do to just break Swan down like this when you've got so much what I would call extra talent on the show? I mean, Brody could have just beaten up Cheech, and it would have been the same match, but it would have been more effective. Yeah, like, in the vacuum, this match was a lot of fun. But yeah, no, like, especially with how Ronan is, and this is going to be a thing we're going to be talking about, is Ronan as the American act that's getting over, but isn't booked like the American act that's getting over and like, the ones that crossed over when, like, you could tell how much he wanted to have other people over before Ronan. And Rich Swan is really over in oh, yeah. this match. Like, Rich Swan like, gets a better reaction than most of the people on this card. So to sacrifice him like this, I mean, I gave the match three stars and it's like a four-minute match because the work there was really good, but I just don't understand why it needed to happen. It was just a, a useless sacrifice of Rich Swan. Yeah, no, it was something that, like, the way you describe it totally makes sense there. But, like, yeah, like this. After the match, we had the remainder of Blood Warriors come out. Shima told Brody Lee to powerbomb him. Ronan tries to save him to no avail. Ricochet grabbed the mic and said that uh, Blood Warriors were supposed to face each other, but they refused to fight each other, and they're going to take the night off. The crowd, like, tried to banter. Like, this is, like, one of those early bad indie crowds that try to talk shit. But then Brody grabbed the microphone and said, like, did to just hold them off and then we had my favorite intro line did someone talk about jimmy jacobs <laughs> which oh boy jimmy oh god considering like how grave a promo he was early in the promotion he's turned into quite a terrible one as it's gone along have you noticed that i like his promo stuff here i he was all over the show on the mic and from what i could understand yeah because yeah. this is i think this is the first dragon usa show where the promos are really hard to hear unless you can think of another one before that. This was the one where I was trying to take notes and I just, I could not understand what they were trying to say. But from what I heard, I liked what Jacobs did on the mic here. 
yeah, he called them all bros. He called them cowards, and then Ricochet said, "All right, uh, if you want this this way, then we'll have an eight. We'll have an eight man tag." And then Shima dunked on Jimmy Jacobs, telling him he had no friends. It was very funny. Yeah, it was, it was... Uh, roast master Shima dominating the crowd with some sick burns. Yeah, I mean Shima being Shima. You know, it's <laughs> it's not just native Japanese people who get dunked on the mic by Shima. It's uh, it's others. The uh, the next match was Air Fox versus Cheech Hernandez. This was the first match on the pay-per-view. Air Fox won with, uh, he might have a name for it. I think it might be called the Can Oper or something, but it's a springboard codebreaker to one knee on Cheech Hernandez. And it's something where, like, this match was okay. It was four and a half minutes, but I, I don't know. Okay, so you take it from here. Cheech should have been a bigger star. That was That was my takeaway, was this dude had a good body in just a, just he was just different and it just seems hard to believe that there wasn't a bigger spot for him on the indies at this point on the indies five years ago or as someone that could like contribute to an AEW dark level show now like he i i would love to know what happened because it just seems like he got lost yeah uh, lost in, in the shuffle at some point and it's a shame because I mean, he looks good here. He and Swan both just kind of hit their big moves, and I think the big moves in this match look good. The in-between and, and getting to those moves felt very choreographed, very awkward. You know, not my thing. You can tell Fox is very early in his progression. So, you know, I gave it two and a quarter, you know, two and a half stars. It's it's the average professional wrestling match, or I guess the the fine professional wrestling match. But it just I it made me think about Cheech a little bit of like man this this guy had had something to him that just never got capitalized on. Yeah, and it's one of those things like Cheech had like a bunch of like really funny like workout taunts to begin with, but it just felt very kind of slow motion early. But it's one of those things that Cheech is like maybe it's part of the thing of him being like a north like an upstate guy, you know? Maybe Brody could bring him into AEW once they finally start touring again, and he might have had like an appearance there. But like whenever I've seen him like an AIW, I always think he's super solid. He just is one of those guys they just didn't seem to work out with. And yeah, Air Fox is really kind of, you know, a little bit, a, a, a little bit still needs to be left in the oven a little bit. You know, like he, he he's almost there. He's almost there, Air Fox is, but he still is pretty green in that. After the match, we had an update in NYC since they assumed that people on pay-per-view wouldn't have seen the title change, but it was the Yamato title change. And that led to my match of the night, Akira Tozawa versus BB Hulk. Akira Tozawa would win the the match against a former champion, so he finishes the weekend at three and zero with a with his capture German his capture German suplex in twenty minutes and twenty eight seconds, in a match that rarely Dave and I like line up on ratings. Dave gave us four and a quarter. I gave it a four and a quarter. I thought this was a easily the match of the night and something truly exceptional. I gave it four and a quarter as well. I oh, do there we think, go. All three of us. Uh, yes. No. The powers that be. Um. Before the match, John Moxley came out with Akira Tozawa, and then Rebby Sky came out, and then Mox convinced her to go to the back with her. And which, once again, I love. I love Liddy Leonard's commentary of John Moxley just has this spell over women. The weird <laughs> charisma. Was, what notes was he getting from Gabe of Mox? In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. 
Repack.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slap packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOW net. Arenaclub.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Just has, you know, it was almost Vince McMahon esque of like, well, he's just got this charisma. Um, I was probably saying that the- Gabe didn't sign a note about like, oh, his pheromones must be doing it because that seems like something <laughs> Gabe would fixate on because it was a very weird note. And I, and, and knowing Lenny, that that was a Gabe note, you know? Oh, God, yes. Um, as for the match, I, I will say I criticized the booking of the opening match because I don't understand why it happened. I do think Gabe needs to be applauded because BB Hulk is not on the next two weekends of shows. Akira Tozawa, thinking about it in my mind, I think is on every show through mid-2013. And if he's not, it's every weekend but one. So with this win, Tozawa, and that's a great match, but with this win, Tozawa, I think between this and the Sammy Callahan match and then the Austin Aries match, he goes 3-0 and this weekend and now cements himself as one of the top Japanese talent for the DGUSA brand, replacing BB Hulk essentially in that role. And then you also have in the main event scene, which I think it's fair to say, even though Hulk was champion, I don't really feel like he was ever looked at as like the main eventer of that promotion. I think that person was Shingo. Right. As we've talked about, Shingo was gone until WrestleMania weekend. Well, who do they bring in to have, you know, 
it's he's he's not exactly Japanese talent, but he's not an American talent. I think he was looked at as a special attraction. Who do you have there? It's Pac. So in that sense, the fact that Tozawa and Pac were the two biggest winners of the weekend, and they're replacing Hulk and Shingo, who are not seen for quite some time, I think Gabe nailed it in that aspect. And this is, I, I mean, it's a beautiful match. Mike, what, what, what do you think of this match? I thought that this was the biggest match win of his career of Tozawa's career at this point. Like he did beat uh he did beat uh, El Generico in Battle Los Angeles. He did have he this was I believe was this before or after DT four? This is oh god, you're gonna put me on the spot. Sorry, but uh, yes, um I, I, I'll, I'll look it up. Yes. But like this is at least in a Dragon Gate went ring, this was the biggest match win of his career. Because Hulk even like with like being the DGUSA champion who was often booked third on the card or in openers in some places as well, was still treated as the guy, and he still was someone of really high standing in Japan. So this is Akira Tozawa's first win against one of his major career rivals here. And it's just something that you could see his confidence in this era with peak era Hulk at this time. And it just was like an exceptional, it just was a blast. And like there's even like a moment like where Hulk's going to go for his springboard spinning heel kick that he kind of... he slips up on the ropes, and maybe is that he's afraid of the uh, how low the ceiling is. And he did like he turned it kind of into like a springboard thes press. And then Lenny Leonard did a tremendous save here, talking about oh that must have gotten the sturm and knocked all the air out of him. And then it turned into like a really stiff match, which really is kind of the Tozawa specialty is the idea that you have to kill Tozawa with fire to beat him. And he ate everything. He had like a moment where there was a first flash that went into a Shining Wizard, probably had the first ever Destino in this match getting out of EVO. And just like a great match. It is one of those matches that it's a shame that I don't think this thing is up on the DGUSA YouTube, but it's really worth watching. And if you're someone like that like sees me tweet about Tazal in these very like reverent terms and like how much I consider him my guy, like to the extent of I'm looking in my office case and I have a t-shirt that's signed by both Akira Tazawa and Ricochet. Like I'm that level of a Tazawa super fan. This is like a match like you watch and you say like this is a guy who was already learning so much and was already had level potential, but he's able to put it not only on like the stage idea of pay per view, but he's putting it in front of the people that basically sent him to America to see what he had. And if anything else, he pretty much stepped forward and you know, this changes probably both like how his the remainder of his run at Dragon Gate USA is and probably you know, changes that level of confidence here that he did it in front of some of his biggest attractors. So it's just a tremendous match, and it's easily my blow-away match of the night. Uh, to answer your question, DDT4 is at the beginning of March, so we have not hit that point yet. So between the Kevin Steen match at the end of December that we talked about a few weeks ago and this weekend, he's splitting time between uh, ACW Anarchy Championship Wrestling and... Uh, Texas and St. Louis Anarchy in Southern Illinois and St. Louis uh, at an ACW show in January. Tozawa wrestled the Australian Dingo in a singles match. And then a month after this show, February 21st, 2011, it is ACH and Akira Tozawa against the submission squad of Davey Vega and Gary J at an ACW show in a match that I really want to see. Is that match at the Mohawk? Can you see if it, it's at... It is at Hooligans in Live Oak, Texas. Okay. Because I was going to say, like, they used to have, like, ACW used to run shows at the Mohawk, which is a yeah, pretty really well... Really cool venue. Yeah, really cool venue where they do the ring outside, and it's in Austin, so it's gross and hot, but it's really cool. So, 
Yeah, no, this is just like the, this is like why we do this series is to rewatch matches like this that I completely forget about. And I'm like, <laughs> holy shit, this match was incredible. Yeah, then, really, really good. And then we had a homicide and Moxley recap. And Jimmy Jacobs came out because Austin Aries was coming out for a match. And uh, and then they, he asked uh, Austin Aries for help against him. And he said, well, I don't want to follow up on that match. So, sure, yeah. And Dave makes a, mo- a note in the Observer Report about how this felt like a very WWE Raw thing. And it's like, if only Raw was like this nowadays. Like that. And then Moxley comes out for some reason. And he talks about putting Yamato into it. So now it's three versus four. But as he comes out with Rebby Sky, Homicide attacks him. And then we start the no DQ match with Homicide and John Moxley. In case I know you have some opinions on this, so take it away. Well, it should be noticed that the Mox and Homicide video package that plays, they show highlights of them in this arena at Evolve 7, which is up to this point the biggest crossover that Evolve and Dragon at USA had had at this point. Because That's even true. though they're they're both being booked by Gabe, but they're not the one WWN family at this point. They're two different universes, different entities, different promotions. So we get the first sign of any sort of Evolve, I guess, unity with that. And then Aries comes out to the ring, and I, I guess because I don't see it in Gabe's notes anywhere, and there would be times where he would update, you know, a, a Saturday morning after a Friday show, you know, oh, this happened, so this is going to happen on the card now. There was none of that, so I'm, I'm guessing it was Mystery Vortex style a few years before Mystery Vortex was a thing. Uh, I, I'm guessing it was Mystery Vortex style, and Aries was going to have an unannounced opponent, but we never got that because Jacobs came out, and then, as you said, you know, ran down that, Mox for some reason comes out and says Yamato will team with them too. And then homicide comes out and attacks John Moxley and a no DQ match in which they brawl around the ring forever. It's not good. The fans can't see Lenny Leonard can't see because they're brawling in the corner of a small arena where there's no elevation anywhere. And then Revy sky comes out, turns on John Moxley, low blows him, and leads to the question, why was Revy Sky booked this weekend? What did she add to these shows? On top of that, her low blow got no reaction whatsoever. It was uncomfortably quiet in the Ace Arena up to that point. The one positive of this match is that shortly after that, Homicide does what I would dub a Davy Richards dive. I had that written in my notes. Over the barricade, into the crowd. (laughs) That looked great. But even that got no reaction. This was still heatless. And then right as Homicide is starting to put Moxley away, he lays down, drapes John Moxley's arm over himself, and gets counted for three. And what I think is one of the dumbest finishes I have ever seen. It makes no sense. After the match, Homicide hits him with an ace crusher. And then starts to leave, but is really just going to to get a pair of scissors and then brings the scissors into the ring, tries to cut John Moxley's tongue out, but Akira Tozawa makes the save. I, I didn't understand any of this. I thought going into this weekend, Homicide versus Rich Swan would likely be the worst match in this promotion's history. But after watching this, and especially the finish, I mean, this is a bad walk and brawl between an out of shape an aging homicide with a charismatic John Moxley. But the finish of this match gives this a dud. It is the worst match in the history of the promotion. It was a waste of time. 
and I still don't understand what the finish was trying to accomplish at all. And it's just not that it doesn't accomplish things. Like, Case, the two of us, we've done probably as much research as I would say anyone has put into Dragon Gate USA. I, I would hope so. I would hope so. For the amount of time I've placed, I would actually take credit for that. There's absolutely zero reason for why Homicide would do this. Was he afraid that him taking out the scissors would DQ him? But he already says he doesn't care about the match. And it's a no-rules match. Yeah, it's a no-rules match. It was just completely fucking dumb. The match, it, was, it was finger poke of doom levels dumb. It, it was, was that bad. It was that bad. Uh, the Davey, uh, I did say, though, the, the, the really sweet uh, Davey Tope was, was rad. That did own. That was something that was actually cool to see. But it just was like, it was a terrible match. It was a match that made me reassess why John Moxley was in this promotion. Because it was so divorced on what was, like, in this hour, you had one of the best singles matches that's happened in the post-Shingo era. Probably the best singles match in the post-Shingo era in this promotion, I would say. And then you would have this, which is worse than anything that happened over WrestleMania weekend with Jack Evans, uh, uh, Teddy Hart, and all of them. Like, this was just bad it was awkward the crowd was dead there was a weird line where moxley talked about showing him what a cincinnati lariat was and it just was awkward and like i feel for everyone who was watching this i feel for uh lenny leonard and uh, leonard f Chakarson having to call this thing because it's like what do you do here and no wonder they went silent i would have gone silent there other than knowing that if i said this is terrible while i'm watching this i get fired this is a cardinal sin this is an absolute cardinal sin because this match killed the crowd, killed the pay-per-view, killed something that you're trying to get people into the promotion that's not in good stakes here. Homicide is out of the promotion after this. So, like, what was the purpose of this? What was the purpose of bringing in Homicide when it does not seem like he contributed anything to the box office, uh, made your top American star get sludged around with this for an entire weekend where he just kind of a I'm, I'm sitting here pulling my hair out case like well, why the fuck did yeah, this happen it's it's again there there just there had to have been something better for moxley to do i mean you had so much new talent introduced on the show have mox just maim one of the new guys just just eat him alive instead because how i mean as you point out you know it's not like homicide drew any houses he's on the smallest show in DGUSA history here because of the building they ran but the october shows that he was on were looked at as box office disappointments, and those weekends were largely booked around him appearing. So it's not like he drew a house. He had the abysmal match with Rich Swan, which now that I think about it, maybe Swan's just being booked horribly because he had that match and then the Brody match tonight that doesn't make any that didn't make any sense. And then yeah, this was this was as bad of a match as I've seen because it's you know at at best it's a boring walk and brawl. But the, again, the only way I can describe it is a finish that is finger poke doom levels of bad. And Mike, I don't know if you've thought about this at all or not, but it's not like John Moxley has that long of a shelf life left in this promotion. Okay. No. We are winding down the career of John Moxley and Dragon Gate USA. And given what occurs later on this show, why Moxley was booked so weak in this match. I just, I, I am failing to see the point of any of this. It's just awful. It was just a it was a terrible match, a terrible segment, a bad post match angle. I don't I, the scissors thing in wrestling. I don't like. It's just I, I I don't know. There's it's almost too real for me. Even though the spots 
often look fake. It's like, I, I you know, I've hurt myself with scissors. I don't want to see anybody. Like, I know that hurts. Like, I don't want to see somebody's tongue get cut out. That's dumb. I just want to see two guys wrestle. And John Moxley versus Homicide was not that. It's just, I can't even wrap my head around the idea of how does Moxley look good out of this? He doesn't get a definitive win. He gets a fucking finger poke of doom, and then he gets attacked by a guy on the way out. Like, what's the purpose of it? Nothing. Did will... you notice? Did you notice that they cut Homicide's promo from the DVD because Homicide is asking for a mic and gets it as they cut to the back? You know, I was so frustrated, and I was more happy that they went to the back here. But no, I did not notice that. I'll be interested if anyone who was live at this show drop into our DMs. Look. I want to know what Homicide said here. Like, something had to happen. It's just... I mean, it's just... It's the the whole thing is confusing because, again, like, Rebby Sky's in this match, too. And I just... Maybe I'm devaluing Miss Howard Stern and being a, a Playboy Playmate in 2010, but what was she adding to these cards to a point? Like, she was pushed really heavily and gave newswires up to oh, this point. I remember, like, the time of the show, like... Her being all over everything. Like, tweets that have all been erased since now. Thanks, Gabe. Like, we're all about her. Videos, we're all about her. And it's, like, I, I this might sound problematic. It's not supposed to, though. But it's not like they couldn't have found a woman in New York City to hang out with John Moxley for the entire weekend. Like, why they needed her in particular to... I, I mean, the, the homicide thing... It is a historically bad string of booking decisions because you look at the John Moxley match on the Friday show in New York where he's attacked by Julius Smokes, who was just mysteriously in the building, which took away from that match, which is a shame because I like that match, but there was too much happening, him and Jigsaw. You have the thing in Philly where the fans and Homicide's crew are running into the ring to attack John Moxley, but it dies a painful death because it's the ECW arena and they aren't dumb enough to buy into that angle. And they are too jaded to give that angle even the appropriate reaction. They, they don't want to play nice with that angle. And I don't blame them. And then you have this match here. So homicide's time in Dragon at USA can only be looked at as a failure. And it's a historically bad run in a promotion through only five appearances. Yeah. It's a cardinal sin of the promotion. Because it ruins several shows. I I wholeheartedly agree. All right. After that, we had a WWN live promo, which would be coming very soon. And then we had a, sh- a match that did not make the pay-per-view for good reason. It was uh, Rex Reed versus Pinky Sanchez. Rex Reed won with like a torture rack lung blower in like five minutes. It was just ugh. CM Punk's favorite wrestler, Pinky Sanchez. I think I will mention that on every show he's on. I... I'm very curious to see how I feel about Pinky Sanchez by the time <laughs> this project is done. Because honestly, like, he's not, like, I, the, the stuff that I have seen from him, which is most 2011 Dragon at USA shows, I don't hate it. I, I don't love it, but I, I don't hate it. But I also, it's been a few years since I've seen these shows my taste and my patience levels have drastically changed since then. <laughs> so I'm not sure how it's going to hold up. I do know this is the last we see of Rex Reed and I'm okay with that. Again, he was, I mean, he's honestly fine as an undercard. 
you know, just because of his size, I would say like Aki Bono-esque position on the card, but he just, he, he looks like shit. His gear looks like shit. And it just detracts from the fine, again, card filler role that he could have had. The fact that, again, Brody Lee squashed Rich Swan on the show when Pinky Sanchez is on this card. I do not understand that, but I rest my case. It's just confounding. It's just incredibly confusing. And then we had a... Started off as looked like it was going to be a four and three match. This was the Blood Warriors team of Shima, Naruki Doi, Ricochet, and Dragon Kid defeating Jimmy Jacobs, Austin Aries, Yamato, and Sammy Callahan, who ran in at the exact last moment because he wanted in. The finish was Naruki Doi hitting the Bakatari sliding kick on Jimmy Jacobs in 24 minutes and 29 seconds. And we've said this a lot on this series, so I'm kind of want, trying to pull back a little bit from it, but there's no better time of this. This was a road to Cork and main event. It's a really strange match. I think there's a great match that these eight men are capable of, but like I talked about at the top of the show, they literally did not have the space to have a great match. Yeah. When you have two guys in the ring, three guys on each side of the apron, and guys trying to do dives, it's just not realistic in the Ace Arena. It was just impossible, and I felt like they kept on getting in each other's way in a way that Dragon Gate guys just don't do. Like, again, the, the the level of expectation in Dragon Gate is perfection. And they were unable to be perfect in this match. And I think it is not because of the talent involved on the American side. It is because of the ring that they were forced to wrestle in. And it, it was just very strange. Um, I, I did enjoy, and Mike, you can explain the history behind it, the very stiff and seemingly unpleasant interactions between Austin Aries and Naruki Doi. Why might that be? Oh, it's because Naruki Doi was almost had his career ended by Austin Aries' tag team partner at that time, uh, Roderick Strong. And Naruki Doi, as is known, is the hardest, actual hardest hitter in the company. Whenever he peppers you with slaps, he's not like letting his, he's not just doing motion, letting it fall through and make a noise. He is slapping the crap out of you. So there is like six-year-old beef. Like if you want to do a beef history video of this, these, <laughs> these two guys have some long lasting beef. But like the thing that got me at the start of it was Shima basically delighted in eating up Sammy Callahan, and Sammy hit him back, and then Shima looked confused on why is this guy hitting me back so hard. Well, and that that is another point I talked about, you know, the Pac Shingo thing and the Tozawa Hulk thing. I just mentioned that Moxley's time in this company is is not for long, and just in terms of, obviously, their relationship, but the way Sammy Callahan cuts promos and his role in the company as maybe not the guy that is going to tour Japan, but the guy that is more the American centric wrestler, Sammy Callahan is on the path to replacing John Moxley. Now I will mention really quick, if you want beef history videos of Drangate, redcircle.com backslash open the voice gate. If you want to hit the donation button there, maybe Mike and I could come up with something. <laughs> I, I, I have a, um dollar amount in mind that i think would be worth it for us to do a beef history video and we will we will bring out the drama for these yes i'm just saying it's an option it is just a paywalled option that you must be aware of because you can donate to the show uh on our red circle page uh open the voice gate you can just search red circle open the voice gate and you can make a donation there yes uh, this this match was strange i thought yamato and doi looked good in it because it's yamato and doi I just, I, I, again, I, you know, there are spots in this match where like they, they all do a big submission spot in the middle of the ring, very kind of Chikara-esque, even though if they're not all connected, they've all got submissions in. And like Callahan hits a wicked stretch muffler 
on Ricochet, just uses all of his body weight and Ricochet's lack of body weight and really takes control of him. And I thought that looked particularly vicious, but this match never really found a flow. I think the ring was just too small for them. And it was, it was fine. I was three and a half stars for me. I know there's a better version of this match out there though. I don't know how, but all three of us have a consensus. This was a three and a half star match. Uh, it, it It's something where like, you had like some really effective Blood Warriors teamwork that would become kind of the trademark of what the Blood Warriors Junction 3 feud was. And if anything, this was a match I was like, all right, obviously this couldn't happen, but let's fast forward this match for like four months and put it in a better arena and with a better ring. And you probably would have something coming close to like a four-star level match. like Oh, completely. And, and then like you had like a really fun pe- closing stretch. Like if y'all haven't watched this show and you're still listening to this podcast... Here's the thing about the Ace Arena. It is so small that there is probably about a yard between the ring and the guardrail. So so for anyone doing any dive, if you're not doing it up the entranceway, you're doing it over the barrier. So so Ricochet hit an insane uh, spy, uh, flying space tornado drop over the like all of this because he had to because he didn't. You would be eating it, and it's just like terrible venue, and really brought down the match. It was also 25 minutes on a show that just had like a whole bunch of crap on it. So the crowd was not going to be super into it as well. Any last thoughts before we get into the main event? No, I'll start with the main event. It's Chuck Taylor and Johnny Gargano versus uh, the Open the Brave Gate champion Pac and the Open the Dream Gate champion Masato Yoshino in the conclusion of the Open the United Gate tournament to crown the first champions. And Mike, I was super disappointed by this match. Yeah, and I remember at the time being so disappointed about the result as well because the winners of this match were the uh, World 1 team of Pac and Masato Yoshino in 17 minutes and 26 seconds with Pac doing a bridging suplex hold on Johnny Gargano. And they did do one thing I thought was pretty smart here and deciding that after all this, we can't go long. We can't go, we can't really lay this out. Let's just do a sprint. And this was a sprint, but this was a sprint that, like, the venue hurts someone like Pac. Pac doing, like, second rope moves because he can't go up to the top for it. The the lowest ever missile sent on I think I've seen in my life from Masato Yoshino. And then even for, like, someone like Chuck Taylor. Chuck Taylor has a great tope, especially for a guy his size. He didn't do it. And, like, they made it into, like, a way where you're just like, okay, like, what am I doing here? And then you have, you have, you have Ronin, which you've been desperate for. Like, if anything, the first 16 episodes should be a story about how desperate this promotion of great Japanese wrestlers needed an American star to kind of build it off of. If you want to compare it to like how New Japan really did well in Western expansion, they had people like Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks helping out that. This was their opportunity of making homegrown stars here, and Gabe decided to go with the safe hand. And I wonder what the world would have been if, if Ronan won this, because Chuck Taylor and Johnny Gargano are about to have one of the great indie tag runs that no one ever talks about. But they had to go with the safe hand. Totally understand that here. And it kind of cut the feet off of Ronan before they could really run. I I understand that point, And I, I think I agree with you. But I'm also just trying to put myself in the frame of mind of everything that the online community was saying at this point about how the DGUSA shows are too Americanized. Even at this point, they're saying there's not enough Japanese talent and that the Americans are being pushed too hard. And I just wonder on this weekend 
of like, this is Ronan. Like these guys came together. They're the super American stable, like this and that. If having them win would, would have been a little too much. Now, I think in hindsight it says, no, give them the belts. They'll be fine. I understand the super champion thing of Doi or not Doi of Yoshino and Pac, you know, now they hold so many titles, but I wish I, I, I think Taylor and Gargano winning would have been the right call, but I understand the fear behind putting the belts on them at this point. Yeah. Like there was a backlash going on that time and totally understandable why there was a backlash, especially for people like myself and I know I've talked to John Carroll about it, and they have kind of similar opinion to me, that people wanted to see the Japanese wrestlers. And the problem is, is that Gabe was trying to book a promotion that was going to not just draw from that because of how expensive it was. And you kind of come into this, this huge central conundrum, right? What do you do here? How do you treat this thing? And you have basically another like year and a half where it's just like the, the Americans and like who are supposed to be your homegrown people don't ever look as strong as everyone else. Like, it, it's something that it takes forever for it to really feel like that these that this happens. Like, luckily, later in 2011, we will start seeing, like, an elevation of an America, of a homegrown star, but it feels like that might have happened too late in my mind. And, and I wonder what that reality is. Like, I totally understand the other side of this, the, this uh, question here, and I don't slight the logic now. Is, it's a logic that I had for a while, but... I wonder what the world could have been like in DG USA if they decided to go differently with this. There's an after-match promo with Pac and Yoshino that I found to be largely uh, not irrelevant but unimportant. But there is a promo to close out the DVD, and it's hidden at the very end of the show, the very end of the show for some reason. Mike, did you catch this promo, or did you did you turn off your show like a normal person and not see it? No, I watched this promo because I did look at the the, uh, the clock when I was like, okay, this match is, is ending up. Like, what, we have eight minutes. Well, I guess I'm watching through this. And then I saw, like, it was like Pac doing a very wholesome promo talking about how Yoshino is his good friend and Yoshino loves New Jersey, which I wonder if he really does love New Jersey. <laughs> I, I I know enough about Masato Yoshino to say that he does not love New Jersey. He's not like New Jersey. <laughs> uh, I don't think Pac really did either, to be honest. But then they, like, they, you had this all this time left and the backstage promo is a Kamikaze USA promo and Moxley and Yamato are having like, they're talking about having a bad time. It was not, not a good weekend for them. They're trying to like rebuild us and they they start yelling at Tozawa. They start yelling at Tozawa to get ready for the promo and Moxley and Tozawa get into it. Tozawa basically says in Japanese that and weird, uh, weirdly translated Japanese that wasn't, didn't get Kamikaze spelt right, by the way. Saying, <laughs> I did not notice that. Oh yeah. So, it ended it with an I, not an E, uh, where they said, like, oh, what's this guy? He's used to us in Japan. This guy just talks, talks. He says what he wants, but what use is him here? Let's leave him. And instead, uh, John Moxley and Yamato turn on Akira Tozawa and beat him down. Uh, Yamato tries to attack him with a piece of luggage, which was really amusing, and then they kick him out of Kamikaze USA, and it's something that they had to do, you know? It's something that they had to do but not on the last three minutes of a DVD and a right. backstage promo. I I have no issue with the angle. It came across well. Why, why here? Why now? There's still three more shows that Moxley is on, and Tozawa's not going anywhere. I understand wanting to set him free, wanting to have some sort of a Tozawa-Moxley blow-off. I get it. Why... 
why in this spot? Why not in front of fans? Like I just, I did, I didn't understand this. It was another thing on this show where it, it felt like the, the DGUSA of 2013, 2014, where things are just chaotic and, and, you know, you scratch your head at the booking and the matches don't deliver the way you think they should because, you know, Yoshino and Pac and Taylor and Gargano, they had really, really good matches leading up to this. And then their match didn't deliver. The eight man wasn't quite right. This was a frustrating show. And I think top to bottom, the weakest show up to this point. It's just... You put this on pay-per-view after you have a lot of this stuff in the can for a while. And you decide to put this show, unless you had the agreement that it had to be this show. You had a whole weekend of things that you could have put together and built up the tournament across a weekend rather than just seeing a tournament final divorce from reality. And you yeah, could have made a two-and-a-half-hour show that was great out of this weekend. That could have been I was so delightfully reviews. surprised by New York and Philly. I came in with, you know, m- medium expectations for those shows. And I mean, again, the Philly, the Philly main events, one of the best matches in the promotions history. And I thought New York was a really, really fun show. And then this one, I, you know, Hulk Tozawa is a brilliant match and one that should be watched. And everything else on this show is skippable. It's, it's really, it's something. And it's something that, I knew there would be a problem, and I remembered back there being a problem that like you'd have like these fun shows that were on eye pay per view, and then you'd have trash on pay per view. I didn't realize it was this stark of a difference. Yeah, so those are our thoughts on United finale. The next episode, unless you got something else. No, no, I was gonna say we have some stuff that we could talk about that will get us in a lot better place, though. <laughs> yes, so. The next DGUSA show is Open the Southern Gate, which kicks off the WrestleMania weekend triple shot. Hell yeah. But that, <laughs> but that in show— In my neck of the woods. And in, in, in Mike Spears' territory, that show takes place at the beginning of April, though. So there's a ton of stuff that happens in Japan leading up to that point that will be discussed— uh, I think throughout the next three shows we do, but it was important for us to mention what's going on in Japan because it's, I think canonically it lines up a little bit more with DG USA in 2011 than it does any other year. Right. And to take us to the end of February, which there wasn't a ton of shows that aired in February. It's really only two shows that matter. And one of those shows is the February 6th show from Fukuoka, Japan, Hakata star lanes and specifically the important matches on this show, which are the Open the Brave Gate title match, which is Pac defending the title against Naoki Tanizaki. Uh, if you saw a gift from me in recent weeks, it was me tweeting out this match where Pac gives a top rope Hurricane Rana to Tanizaki to the floor in this match, which is one of the many crazy bumps that occur. And then an Open the Twin Gate match where Genki Horiguchi and Ryo Saito challenge Don Fuji and Masaki Mochizuki for the Open the Twin Gate titles. Mike, when I mention these two matches, what comes to mind? Well, Pack versus Tanian is one of the low-key great matches of this year. Like, in a year that has great stuff, it's an insane match case. Like, rewatching that match, like, what would you give it? I gave it four and a quarter on rewatch. It's four and a quarter, but it's it's not... If my memory is right, it's been a while since I watched this match. There's, like, no stalling in this match. It's just insane. No, it's it's 17 minutes. I I rewatched 
most of what we're about to talk about before we recorded. I believe, I believe this match is in full when it airs. If not, only a minute or two gets clipped off. We get most of this match into the entire main event, and it is. Tamazaki is someone that I really miss in Dragon Gate. He wasn't someone that always needed to be pushed because he wasn't a world-class worker. Like, he's just not on the level of most of his contemporaries. He's like Kagatora. But I think he's a better version of Kagatora because exactly when when he gets that moment in the spotlight, when it is him and his moment matters, he delivers the entire time. I mean, his his signature matches, his Brave Gate uh, defense against Kagatora in 2009. There are people that look at that Tanazaki Kagatora match as one of the best matches in Dragon Gate history, quite honestly. I mean, there are people that love that match. Tanazaki's a guy who, when he needed to bring it, he could absolutely bring it. Yeah, he was something special. I'm looking at this card right now, Case. You you, you did forget to mention the two-on-one handicap cap match of Brody Lee and defeating Katoka and Super Shenlong. I would book that at any venue in the world today. Give, give it exactly I would bring... three minutes and 51 <laughs> seconds like this. I would bring Kotoka. Yeah, actually, I don't need to bring Kotoka out of retirement. I'll use Oji Shiba, his brother, instead. And oh, then, bless his heart. Uh, problem Dragon under the Super Shenlong mask, and I will have I will bring them around the globe and have Brody Lee destroy them with ease. What a great match, too. You know. Yes. No. Just just so much fun. And then there's the open the Twin Gate title match, which he, here is here is I was talking with Mike about this. This show is on. I don't know why the show I had uploaded it to YouTube years ago, but it's on my YouTube unlisted. The link to Pak Tanizaki and Horiguchi and Saito versus Mochi Fuji is in the show description. Use that link wisely. Do not get my YouTube account suspended. But I want people to see these matches because Horiguchi and Saito versus Mochi Fuji, especially, is a hidden gem, a long lost gem forgotten greatness whatever superlatives you want to throw at it this is a i gave this match four and three quarters i know alan forel is a five-star uh, proponent of this match it is a brilliant tag team wrestling match that for some reason is underappreciated in the grand scheme of things well i mean you look at it and you have maraha isapa winning the titles and it it's something that i think that people and especially newcomers and it's not to slight them you're not used to like how heel Ginky Horiguchi and heel Ryo Saito were. Like yes. they were like tremendous heels, especially Ryo Saito. Ryo Saito is one of the more underrated heels in the company's history. And then you have Mochi Fuji, which like I mean it's the dads and everyone loves the dads, but I think like now we're to, like to the point of loving them that's like like this. But I mean like they're so the, they're two of the meanest MFers in the company's history. And it's just like having this match like Haka Sarlane's they say that it had 2350 here. Probably it was close to 2000 because this was like an insane episode of Infinity. Like, I'm looking up and down this card, and I do remember this tag match. This tag match, like, my, my thoughts about it. This would be, and doing a real coward's thing, this would be a four and four sevenths match for me <laughs> real coward shit for me it, it is it is stunningly good i hadn't seen the match in a few years finally went back and rewatched it and it was just i was just blown away at stuff just psychology stuff that oh, yeah. people are going to disregard because of the pace it's worked at but psychology stuff that is just next level professional wrestling there's just no one in the world doing what they did in this match if i'm right there's like a tremendously long heat segment in this match 
Yeah, no, it's it, it's there, there's uh, there's a ton of selling going on. It's crazy heated. The finishing stretch when you when you factor in, you know, big match Fuji, big match Mochizuki, and backslide from heaven Horiguchi. Like there's just a ton of factors at play that just make this match feel different. It's just a different kind of match. This entire show, looking at it, like I don't know what this clip was not. You also have the Blood Warriors trio of uh, Shima, Doi, and Ricochet defeating BB Hulk, Kness, and Masato Yoshino. And that airs on a different episode of Infinity. I mean, that's how they chopped things up that day. Yakinichi Arai versus Sumo Yokosuka. I could probably live without that one. That's a 15-minute Arai match. I'm surprised you're not all about that. Arai at this time, though? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And then that's fair. the aforementioned handicap match, and then you had the opener, which was... Uh, Kamikaze of Cyberkong, Kagatora, and Yamato losing to Dragon Kid, Gamma, and Yuzushi Kanda. That's a match I could probably do without. <laughs> I'm fair. I I, I'm willing to say this. And of course, it's a time that like Shingo Takagi was out with his uh, shoulder injury. So, yes. So, bicep. Sorry, bicep. The other show worth mentioning in the string of shows, this kind of takes us to the beginning of March, which will have a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, regarding just Japan in March 2011 on the next episode. But February 10th, 2011, Corken Hall. I will run down the full card real quick. It is Tanizaki, Saito, and Horiguchi defeating Super Shenlong, Kotoka, and the future T-Hawk, the opener. I, I see you sidestepping me. What I what my mistake was always with that name. Oh, no, I'm not even going to attempt to say that. <laughs> oh, why, would I, why would I do that? Uh, Yasushi Kanda defeated Cyber Kong in a 12-minute singles match. We do not need that anywhere. Uh, Pac teamed up with Super Shisa. They defeated Dragon Kid and Ricochet in a match that is really, really fun. And there are some hidden Super Shisa gems in 2011. Uh, Don Fuji and Arakin defeated Yamato and Kagatora. A number one contenders match, Masaki Mochizuki defeated Brody Lee in a match that I rewatched and was blown away by. It felt like watching Hansen versus Kawada, but in a Dragon Gate ring. And it just, it made me think a lot about Brody Lee and how big he could have been in Japan, how misused he was in America, both on the indies and then for nearly a decade in WWE. It is so frustrating to think about. And then finally, the main event, Pac contra Pac, Shima, Doi, and Gamma defeated Yoshino, Hulk, and Susumu Yokosuka. We can explain the stipulation behind that in just a second, but Mike, your memories of this show. Like, that that opened the Dreamgate number one contendership match. Might have been, at that time, with the exception of some of the stuff he was doing in Chikara, the best match of Bray Lee's career at that point. I had seen it before, didn't have a super strong memory of it, watched it today, was blown away at just how good it was. Yeah, yeah, and it makes sense that you said, like, Hanson versus Kawada. I mean, you have uh, you have a Kochi Katao student versus someone who, like, openly, like, his name was, like, yeah, Brody Lee was also a reference to Jason Lee's character from... Uh, of Wall Rats, I Wall believe. Rats, Wall Rats, yeah. I, I tried to erase uh, Kevin Smith from my brain, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh okay all right <laughs> i spent way too much time in my life watching kevin smith and kevin smith uh stand-up dvds I... big jason lee guy though although he is a scientologist my name is earl is one of my favorite shows of all time so quick sidebar i've gotten really into celebrity blind items over the last few weeks and what is that oh it's it's like celebrity rumors they don't get published anywhere else but gotcha. they often come out to be true and it's usually like really like seedy stuff to be honest it, it, if you're someone like me who watches like trash tv it's right up your alley there's this guy who is like if you ever and listen to my hair this crazy days and nights is like this blog of like this hollywood entertainment uh lawyer who does stuff 
talks about how Jason Lee's trying to leave Scientology right now, and Scientology might let him walk. So you might not have to have that reservation on Jason Lee much longer. Well, well, Jason, Jason Lee's a fascinating person. He's a brilliant photographer who seems he seems to be living a very happy life with his family right now, and also a crazy influential skateboarder. He grew up with Ed Templeton, who went on to found Toy Machine Skateboards. Ed Templeton is my favorite artist, my favorite photographer, one of my favorite skateboarders, huge personal influence on me. And in the early 90s, when Ed Templeton was at the top of his game, he's doing most of his innovative stuff with Jason Lee by his side, oh, yeah. which is crazy. And then, you know, Lee's at Mallrats. And then, you know, like I said, My Name is Earl is one of my favorite shows ever. I, I, I am so disappointed we never got a fitting conclusion to that show. It was canceled on a massive cliffhanger. But yeah, uh, uh, just Jason Lee, uh, mad respect. And thank you, Brody Lee, for, for giving him a rightful tribute in the professional wrestling industry. But yeah, that was my sidebar. So let's talk about pack contra pack. Yeah, do you want to break that down for me? Oh, jeez. It was like, <laughs> like, the big thing about this was, and I don't have like the full notes about this in front of me, but Shima had I, a, I, I do, so do your best. I'll fill in uh, the blanks. All right, Shima was obsessed with pack. Like, had an obsession with him. And was like, oh, you need to join me. You need to join me. But everyone was like, no, he's world one. He's world one. And then they set this up. I remember us talking about this in a previous episode that, like, membership of with PAC, which is a thing that, like, happens a lot. Like, the most recent one was the membership of Mondai Ryu. Or it was, like, the Berserk uh, versus Overgeneration match where, like, losers gets to pick someone. And it, it, it was kind of, like, building up to the thing. Like, Naruki Doi was like, oh, no, we want PAC as well. Of course, BB Hulk and Masato Yoshino were like, no, he's our bro. He's our bro. And it kind of like ended like this was like one of the big first like Blood Warriors, like claiming people, turning people, kicking people matches. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So Blood Warriors wins the match and they get the rights to have Pac join Blood Warriors. But then Ricochet says he doesn't like Pac. Ricochet is the best high flyer in the world. Uh, so Shima, as it says in the translation, Shima, for whatever reason, left the decision up to Pac. Pac said his heart belonged to World 1, that he didn't want to join Blood Warriors. Shima said, okay, despite the stipulations for the main event. He then asked Ricochet if he had anything else to say, and Ricochet made a challenge uh, to the Open the Brave Gate title that Pac held, and they agreed to do it next month at Corkin. And then... So we get a main event with a stipulation that ended up meaning nothing, but that's happens a lot. Happens yes, a lot. It's part of the, part of the song and dance here. Uh, Shima then turned to Susumu. He had a challenge for Kaneska, but since Kaneska was injured, Susumu could choose his partner. He had opponents for them, calling out Taka Michinoku and Nozawa wrong guy Nozawa out of the question as new Blood Warriors assistants. They exchanged words with Susumu, who chose. In the end, uh, BB Hulk as his partner. The former veteran army came out at this point, and Mochizuki argued with Taka. In the end, Mochizuki and Arakan threw themselves into the mix, making it a three-way tag for next month. Hulk and Yokosuka versus Mochizuki and Arakan versus Taka Michinoku and Nozawa Wrong Guy. Now, Mike. Oh yeah, I got thoughts. I had, I had zero memory of Taka being a Blood Warriors assistant. So there's a good reason why. And we'll get into that next episode. But well, yeah, we, we can go. We, well, yes, yes. Go oh, ahead. Okay, we'll talk about it now. The next episode is going to cover the events that happened during uh, 3-11-2011, which was the terrible monsoon and the nuclear collapse of the Fukushima nuclear plant that completely changed Japan from that, that point on. And a lot of these matches, this was announced for Sumo Hall, right? Uh, this was Cork in the next month. This okay. was March Cork, and so 3-1. So, so yeah, this match would happen, but... yes. 
the... with one of the participants being different, which we'll get into in just yeah, a second. Yeah, which we'll get into it in a second. There's a lot of things that happen here, but yeah, Nosawa Rongai, yeah, no, it made sense. Like, uh, if you watch, if you look at Nosawa Bombay shows and Tokyo Carnival shows, big relationship there. And then like Shima and Takamichinoku have had like this long love hate relationship their entire careers. Dating. It's uncomfortable. It's just weird their relationship with one another. Yeah, it starts when uh with uh, uh Sh- Crazy Max basically replaced Kaintai DX in Michinoku Pro as like the big heel unit because you know they basically were going to die without without having infusion there. And one of the big things that happened was that Shima somehow stole Taka Michinoku's driver's license, his passport. <laughs> I think it was like his his personal id and then also yeah. his stamp which is a big thing in japan because you have to use your stamp for like all like important government documents you everyone has a stamp with their name in like traditional kanji did you know that like the, i that yes i did and he set them on fire <laughs> and that became like a point of like emphasis about them throughout the rest of years like this happened like in 1998 so 2011 they're on good terms there's like other mentions that that uh takamichinoku wants to always burn shima's uh passport as a receipt and it's just like a real weird dichotomy that like after strong hearts split nothing's really happened since then because it seems like that's between those two i don't know if there's any personal animus and i believe that that whole story there was like a big storyline but there does seem to be like a, a very uncomfortable air whenever takamichinoku is around well and and there's, I think it's forgotten about, partially because the matches aren't great, but Takamichinoku, you know, he headlines Kobe World 2005 against Masaki Mochizuki, but there's K-Dojo guys on almost every Dragon Gate Cork and Hall show that year, and then there's a lot of Dragon Gate participation in K-Dojo shows in 2005, right. and then, you know, Taka disappears for a little bit and then comes back, like always, and it's it, the the web of Takashima just weirdness is so strange and they always seem to have the weirdest likely ego driven relationship there could be. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, you know, the match was supposed to be Hulk Yokosuka uh, versus Mochizuki and Arakan versus Taka and Nozawa out of the question, but that would not happen as February 19th. It is announced that Nozawa wrong guy has been removed from the March 1st Corkin show due to his arrest. He was arrested for allegedly stealing a taxi. He had no driver's license to make things worse. He was probably very drunk. He has he claimed was. innocence naturally, and a replacement has not been announced. But I will say now, uh, we will break down the March 1st cork in, in detail on the next show. But the uh, replacement for Takamichinoku was Minoru Fujita. Yeah, uh, so this isn't the big Nasawa Rongai arrest that everyone knows about. But yeah, no, like this was like a time period where he was doing like a lot of all Japan and he was like black tiger and he was like a black tiger, I think at this time as well. And he stole, uh, it was like out with sponsors. He, it was like, I'm remembering this from memory, so I might be wrong. And if I am, I apologize, but this is just a crazy story. He gets drunk and I think like the taxi driver wasn't driving to where he wants to. So he took over the taxi cab and drive and drove drunk and was arrested. Like no sour being no sour. These are no sour things. No, just no sour things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no. When you brought this up earlier, I was like, oh, wait, what happened there? I was like, oh, yeah, no, this did happen. And then it all, like, started flashing back, and I was like, I think I immediately responded. Like, I paused for a second, and I was like, oh, this is when he got arrested for uh, stealing a taxi cab, right? And lo and behold, it was the taxi cab. So that brings us to everything that mattered in February in Dragon Gate. So when we resume, we will be opening the Southern Gate talking about the life-changing events that occurred 
in Japan in March of 2011, as well as Ronin's first tour of Japan. We've got that. And then I will run down the open, the Southern Gate card real quick. We get John Davis versus Brody Lee in the opener, a breakout challenge semifinal match between Jimmy Rave, Lince Dorado, Lince Dorado, Sugar Dunkerton, and Kyle Matthews, Sammy Callahan versus Rich Swan. Another breakout challenge four-way match of Eric Cannon, Shima Zion, Facade, and A.R. Fox. Naruki Doi versus John Moxley. Another Shima versus Johnny Gargano match. The breakout challenge finale, which I will not spoil the participants there. And then a stable shootout match, Pac and Ricochet against Akira Tozawa and Chuck Taylor. Mike, I am looking forward to opening the Southern Gate. Well, I mean, I'm going to probably before we... Uh... We, we review the show to go to cookout, you know, traditional Carolinian fair, and then think, go check on to see how things are going with my, one of my alma maters, the Elon Phoenix, which are five minutes away from this arena. And, you know, just get myself into the vibe, you know, I'm ready for this one. And that is all I have <laughs> for this podcast. Uh, Mike is going to embrace his Southern roots. We'll see how that goes. We'll see if he wears a mask or not. It's the way it sounds like he's probably not gonna. Um, and that is the end of this podcast. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's going to do us for here for this week's episode of Rewind and Rewatch. Case, do you have anything you wanted to plug before we get out of here? Yes, donate to us so we could do beef history videos. Uh, redcircle.com backslash open the voice gate. There's a link in the show notes every time. Yeah. So uh, you could also find us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate, where we will tr- retweet everything that we can about Dragon Gate News. If we're lo- watching something live, we'll just post something there. Birthday wishes to people. You know, it, it, it's we like we like to be like your one stop shop of Dragon Gate English content. I would like to think, guys. I would like to think so too. Yep. And then you can find me on Twitter at Fujiheya. That's two eyes like Don Fuji and Case at underscore in your case. But until next time, when we're going down south before Mania weekend, uh, that's it for Open the Voice Gate for Case. I'm Mike, and we'll catch you next time.